Now, Sean, I'm not sure if you're aware of the fact or not, but I happen to be relatively fond of a certain band from Southern California that live in the high desert called Queens of the Stone Age. I do know that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and in addition to being a fan of them, you know, Josh Ami, who's sort of the, the brain trust, right, the breathing heart of Queens of the Stone Age, he has made a lifetime, a musical lifetime out of collaboration with a wide range of artists, up to and including Mark Lanigan, who most people mm-hmm. probably know as the lead singer of Screaming Trees, right, out of the Seattle grunge yes. scene. They were one of the, actually the early proponents of that. They'd already been well established as bands like Mud Honey, Nirvana, mm-hmm. Soundgarden got, got more established. They'd been there for a while. And Mark Lanigan, of course, would, even after Screaming Trees, go on to this long and prolific solo career. He did a couple albums with Isabel Campbell, who uh, played cello for Bell and Sebastian in their earliest incarnation. But he would also do some really, truly incredible work. Josh Ami was clearly a fan because he let him sing all over three or four of that band's records. And... I really expected to talk almost exclusively about Mark Lanigan today, except that, well, what could be a precursor to World War III broke out Mm. uh, as we woke up this morning on today, which is Thursday, the 24th of February, the year 2022. But Mark Lanigan got the news yesterday that he passed at the age of 57. He had an interesting career. He had a pretty dark youth. Things were pretty crazy, but seemed to have settled down. But a combination of COVID and some other internal factors and just age taking its toll, as it always does. Mark Lanigan passed at 57, and it's weird when, you know, rock stars die, right? Because a lot of them, you're like, oh, those were my parents' favorites. It's so sad to see them go. But when one feels like a contemporary, right, like someone that you grew up alongside, I'm a few years younger than he is, but not much, and 57 is way too fucking young to die. Uh, So R.I.P. Mark Lanigan. I'm just, I'm a gigantic fan, and I wanted to start the show with a song. Well, if I can squeeze Queens in and Mark Lanigan in, I feel like that's a win to the start of episode 229 of The Brian Oak Show. I'm Brian Oak. That is Sean Bernard. Sean, how are you today? I'm fine, except for the whole thing going on in Russia and Ukraine. So. You, you mean where they literally brought all of their military forces to bear in a country they could easily roll over and are doing everything in their power to easily roll over? Yeah, because I'm one of these people, Like, it start, I start thinking immediately that there's real human beings that are being killed right now. One real of my people. Oldest phrases, you know, back when like the internet first happened, you'd go on to, I don't know, pente.net or backgammon.com or whatever, right? Just like to play games. I could never help myself from picking a fairly pointed username like War is Murder. And that became yeah. my name on most of my sites. I'm with you. I believe that war is murder. Now, defending yourself against an aggressor, that's a different animal. Yes. When you march in, you are murdering people, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, already over 50 people dead, and the number is certainly going to grow, possibly exponentially. Many of those civilians. It's not okay, and I don't pretend to understand the vague, you know, uh, nuances and the esoteric nature of Eastern European and Western Russian politics, but I know that marching in and bringing tanks, attack jets, bombers, everything else to bear, I know that when people are dying, something bad is happening, and I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I'm not trying to damn it with faint praise. I'm not trying to underplay it. I, I got upset this morning watching it go down and paying attention to and it. And it's all about greed. I mean, there's the whole Putin mentality of, oh, that land is mine. I've decided. You know, it's just about money. It's about more wealth. It's about more greed. It's about the basics of taking more than you need, and that that isn't ju- that isn't just a Putin thing, obviously. No, it's, it's been a, going on it, for some time. It's a from mindset. What I understand. It's a mindset. <clears throat> it is. It really is a sick, sick mindset that needs to change with people. That how much is enough? You know, how much is enough? And that's why a lot of these wars have happened. As people say, ah, we need more. We need a lot more. Is there ever really enough, Sean? If you're talking about Girl Scout cookies, no. Settle down. I had to lighten the mood just a little bit. I appreciate that. My. Lovely wife, I was about ready to say something else, had to come home with six boxes of Girl Scout cookies. It's not Girl Scout cookie season, is it? It is Girl Scout cookie season. Son of a bitch. Yeah. What are those peanut butter ones called? Oh, Dosey Dose? Uh, heaven. Can I just say that? With a cup of coffee? 
Also, don't put, me? don't put your Thin Mints in the freezer. I know that's very chic and very popular. I get it, and that's fine, but they're perfect at room temperature. I'll put anyway, your Thin Mints in the freezer. I'll put you in a... a I'll, you're at room temperature. Um, <laughs> I, before your we go any further, I, I follow a, a thing on Facebook <laughs> just called Poets, and it shares these one-liners by important poets from throughout the many ages. And a woman by the name of Mary Boykin Chestnut wrote, Brutal men with unlimited power are the same all over the world. So to your point about how Putin is hardly the first. And unfortunately, yeah. long after we're gone, he will not be the last. There are those who, instead of seeing your fellow human being, no matter what stripe, color, creed, anything they, they may represent, you, you, you find a way to turn off your brain and treat them as though they're something lesser or different than you are when they're not. We're all the same mm-hmm. fucking thing. And it's heartbreaking, beyond heartbreaking to see what's happened. We'll have to watch how it unfolds over the next couple of days. Luckily, we're going to talk about something better just ahead. A great local author, artist, musician, podcaster, which apparently she's coming for our throne, Sean. So keep keep an eye over we your shoulder. We have a competing podcaster on this show? It's weird, right? I mean, like, it turns out there's more than just a couple of podcasts there's out there. There's lots of room. That's <clears> why we, we just, there's lots of room yeah, for That's what you else. say now until you hear how good she is. But before we talk to Melissa Oliveri, I want to play a song that to me speaks to sort of the inhuman nature of the wars we now wage, right? Like, and not like it was any better during World War One or the Civil War where you had to look someone in the eye as you stabbed them with a bayonet, right? Mm-hmm. That's still brutal and awful. But now we get this sort of detachment with drone warfare and guns that can literally fire 20 miles to hit their target. And you get this sort of impersonal nature of just running a mission, bro, just doing my thing, heading back home, going down to the officer's mess tonight, and it makes me sick to my stomach. It really churns my guts, and one of my favorite, favorite singer-songwriters, American singer-songwriters of the last 20 years, maybe a little longer, is Ted Leo, East Coast guy. He's had a band called Ted Leo and the Pharmacist forever, and he Mm -hmm. writes brilliantly insightful personal lyrics, but he also... He's punk rock and melodic in the way that Husker do were, but even more incisively political, and he just hits the nail on the head every goddamn time. This song is called Bomb, Repeat, Bomb. Please listen closely to the lyrics. Ted Leo on The Brian Oak Show.
Nothing funny about that, but it's an important song. Ted Leo and the Pharmacist, Bomb, Repeat, Bomb. On, I almost said Cities 97.1, Uniquely Twin Cities. But you Jesus. Didn't. Well, I just did now. It actually is the Brian Oak Show, Edit. which is. Edit. Don't you dare. All right, let the magic happen. Let life be messy. Let it be dirty. Let it have a couple smudges on its face. Hey, now if this and then. helps bring up their numbers, I'm happy to promote them. Unbelievable. They they couldn't care less. <laughs> when I when I went back to work for them, and I'm like, hey, but I'm not getting up the podcast. There was like a little giggle. They're like, we don't give a fuck about your podcast, <laughs> which is powered and sponsored and empowered by the good people at Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. They are the naming sponsors of this studio and they're good people they've been with us for 229 episodes they will get you back into your car sooner and for less money than you otherwise might should you make the great grave unforgivable sin of driving while you're drunk don't hurt anybody don't drive drunk just be cool but a lot of people decide not to be cool but you need to get back in your car what's the best way for them to do that sean Best way is to go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show, and that'll get them 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock. I feel like I say it the same way every time, so if I change my voice a little bit, it'll really stand out. Problem is, you creep me out because you started to sound like the old guy on Family Guy. I almost sounded like this guy who said, why don't you come to my basement? Yeah, that's the guy. Have yourself yeah. a nice popsicle. Maybe they'll get you a popsicle. I just talked to my son about drinking and driving. He doesn't have a car right now. He's in college, and he's like, Dad... I would I would never drink and drive. I said, here's the challenge. The drinking clouds your judgment. I, I don't think there's one person you could ever ask me, like, would you like to drink and drive? No one's going to put their yes, hand up and sir. say yes. But then all of a sudden, you got five of those bad boys in you, yeah. and you're like, you know what I could do? I could probably fly home, but I think I'm just going to drive my car home super <laughs> it's fast. It's only a few miles. Yeah, so don't do it. And if you no. do do it, get to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show and find out how to start to begin to fix the shattered pieces of your broken life. Today's <laughs> guest is <laughs> Melissa Oliveri. And Melissa is a kind and intelligent and wildly talented individual who comes to us from Canada, but we're not going to hold that against her. Hello, Melissa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Have you ever experienced any anti-Canadian bias in your life since you've moved to the States? I don't think so. That's because what what's not to like about Canada? Right? I mean, and basically in Minnesota, we are essentially Canadians to begin with, right? Well, you know, though... I, I mean, w- we're very close to one another. Imaginary, we're South Canada. Imaginary close. lines separate us, and that's about it. I've heard complaints about those Alberta Clippers. Well, if, if there was something that your country could do about that, that would be great. Right. You're born and raised Canada, right? Absolutely. Where at? Um, mostly Quebec City, Montreal, a little bit of Eastern Ontario. Are you French Canadian? I'm, I'm very French Canadian. Uh, well, that and I already kind of knew the answer to that, but I uh-huh. wanted to hear you say it. So, growing up, were you speaking French or were you speaking English? I actually learned both um, at the same time. My father's family is are English speaking French Canadians, okay, and my mom's family is French. They don't speak any English, so I knew both alphabets by age like two. And they had no interest. They're like, "F you, we're French. We're not learning English." Yeah, I, I, you know, they learned because now there are rules. But back in the day, in my grandma's generation, there were no rules, and so you know, the box said cornstarch, and so they call it cornastache. Of course. <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean? So what do you mean? Now better. there are rules. Like, is is English language teaching now legislated? I mean, it's required. Oh well. Yes, there is some English teaching in Quebec, uh, you know, when you're in school. But what I mean is, um, back in the day, there were no rules as far as having to have French labeling on the products. Oh, I see. And you mean. All so right. they learned some English words, you know, kind just of. that way, kind right. of. Yeah, I don't know that they really knew. So yeah. when I call Sean Mon Petit Chou, what do you think about that? Well, it translates to my little cabbage. I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cute. Mm. Exactly. It's very cute. So it is, it is. How do I say, what are you doing later to Brian? Don't don't answer that question for him, please, <laughs> Melissa. Don't answer that question. I actually, because I was so enamored of the language, when I was in middle school, they're like, you have to take a foreign language. I was like, okay, the three choices were Spanish, German, or French. I didn't know. I had no, you know, a purpose of doing practical, you know, usage of any of these. But I liked the French culture, and I knew a little bit about France. And I thought, well, I'll take French. And I ended up taking French for five years. In fact, I have been to your home city of Quebec once when I was in middle school as part of a French trip. It was the first time I'd ever left the country in my entire life, and it's a lovely, lovely city. It's beautiful. Now, I that this was. <clears throat> 
40 plus years ago. Ooh. So I'm only assuming its beauty has been maintained. Did they take care of old Quebec? I mean, like, do they preserve the buildings and everything? They, they do. They have really strict rules about things like that. And, and see, that's great, right? Yeah. Yes, I love that. I do feel like maybe that's a little bit lacking. Oh, a little bit. I mean, even though it's not as old. So do you make it back up to Quebec very often? We try to go with um, my son Luca and I went last year together because my my grandmothers are both still alive. One of them is going to be 106. Oh, my. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Both of your grandmothers are still alive. Yep. I envy you. I know. It's very, very cool. 106? Yeah. And lucid and there oh, and yeah. ready to hang out? Well, yeah, her hearing's not great, but well, she, her brain's all there. I mean, yeah. she's 106. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that, that to me, that's fantastic. So you're growing up there. You are, I think, by any metric or definition, a multiplicity. <clears throat> Try it again. <laughs> multidisciplinary artist. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. So, but you've been... I'm sorry. I, I don't know. That first one exploded like a balloon full of red paint on my face. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, growing up, so I mean, I mean, these days, I mean, you play music, right? And you've been an author or a writer, at least, for the very long time. You do a very interesting and atmospheric podcast, and I want to talk about all that. But that create, creativity has to come from somewhere. Did you grow up in a household that fostered that or did you have one particular teacher that lit the fuse where did you start to realize this is how i'm going to express myself for the rest of my life that's that's interesting question um i think part of it is being an only child Mm -hmm. i used to play chess with myself (laughs) you know yeah i would say how'd you do yeah like i would say one side was mom and one side was dad and Uh then i wouldn't be able to pick favorites right and i would just do that yeah so I think just being inventive and creative, um, I think I always felt a little different than the majority of kids my age. Too. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, that's really hard. But as an adult, and I say this to my son all the time, I'm like, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to be like everybody else so badly. And then when you're an adult, you realize that the ones that aren't like everybody are the ones who, you know, are more interesting. Mm-hmm. And that, that price you have to pay when you're younger it does come back and pay benefits later on in life, right? Absolutely. And it doesn't mean you're going to be Picasso, and it doesn't mean you're going to be Kurt Cobain or pick any artist that you like. Maybe you had the nickname Sybil the Chess Player, but we don't know. No, <laughs> we no, don't know. No, no but, but so I, have, I only have one child, a daughter of 23 years of age. As an only child, the number of times she would be, and she invented her own board games in her room, right? And she would come up with things that, levels of creativity that me, I wasn't an only child. I had a younger sister, but she was six years younger, so there were many times where I felt like an only child. Because, you know, we're not really competing over anything. We're not in the same age range. And so I would do a lot of these things by myself all the time. And my mother would go out of her way to be like, you know, your friends are all playing outside right now. Will you please get out of the house? And I don't think that she was mad about me doing my stuff, but I think she was worried about what my future looked like if I just stayed in my bedroom playing with Star Wars action figures all the time. I mean, were your parents ever like, okay, that was a great song, and this is a really cool thing you're doing right here. Why don't you go outside and play with your friends? Yeah, I, I well, I did go outside a lot. I just went alone. Okay, fine. <laughs> we lived in the country for a while, and I, you know, I was friends with the frogs and the birds. It sounds really nerdy, but that was that my, doesn't sound that nerdy. That was my world. That sounds know? like Beatrix Potter, except yeah. better. I mean, like it that was awesome. That sounds amazing. So, where you grew up is is the topography? You know, the the, the flora and the fauna. Is it similar to what we have here, where you grew up? Um, I'd, I'm, so I moved around a lot, but that period, um, yeah, it, it is. It. Uh, <laughs> The ticks were never a thing, so I get really freaked out. Oh yeah, <laughs> about the well, tick that's because they could give you Lyme disease, right? But I mean, so like that far north, just ticks weren't a thing. I don't. Well, I although think, I think now they are, but they weren't Quebec, back then. Isn't Quebec kind of on the same line that we are? Like Montreal I mean, is, yeah. yeah. Oh, Montreal, Montreal, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I mean, but it's not that much further north no. than we are here in Minnesota. No, the the weather is is just as terrible here as it is where <laughs> I come from. <laughs> Did you get bad winters there? Oh, yeah. More yeah. snow. Um, and Quebec City is, for those who don't know, it's kind of multi-level. It's built on a cliff. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I got to tell you, waiting at the bus stop on a windy day oh in gosh. February is not fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, but Quebec, for anyone who's never been, um, it's a gorgeous historical city. And the fact that they do take such good care of it and maintain it, again, I haven't been there in 40 years, but I remember 
marveling as a teenager or a preteen, going up there, cobblestone streets, mm-hmm. incredible buildings. I mean, I felt like it was obviously clearly a very modern city, but it also felt like I was in a turn-of-the-century city. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I still, every time I go back, it doesn't get old. I mean, it is old, but it doesn't get old to <laughs> see it to, over and over again. To experience. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I love it. Absolutely I want to talk about it. your transition to America, but before we do that, I would like to hear some music. I hate going too long without hearing some music. So you have written music for a long time, but you perform under a pseudonym, and I'd like you to tell me what that pseudonym is. Oh, well, it took me a while to choose it, and I ended up going with Canel, which is the French word for cinnamon. And why cinnamon? Um, well, a little bit of it was my red hair. Right, there's that. <laughs> um, but part of it, I think, is there's um, this idea of warmth and maybe a little bit of mystery and a little bit of comfort that goes with that spice. Before we hear this, so. what is your favorite part about creating music? Do you like to sing? Do you like to write? Well, I mean, or do you like just all of it? Or is there a particular part of it that's really that you feel drawn to? Um, this is strange to explain, and I don't really haven't met anybody else who experiences music this way but i see images in my head and then i translate mm. them into music um are we talking about shapes are we talking about full-blown um, rendered no, landscapes like a movie. are we really, yeah really? like a movie yeah or and <clears throat> and sometimes i can do the reverse for example if i'm writing a song to go with the podcast to go with a story mm. that story translates into music for me so I don't know how else to explain it. It's I, a little that, weird. That, that that's cool. I, mean, no, it's... I think that's great. And also, I don't think, I think if you were able to explain it down to a T and put a period at the end of the sentence, it would remove some of the magic and the mystery, mm. right? Yeah. Don't you think? Tell me about this song right here. Um, so Nightbridge is the um, intro music to my podcast, The Skylark Bell. And when I, <laughs> a friend talked me into starting this podcast and I thought, okay, I'll need intro music. And I was trying to come up with something. And finally... I realized that I had this song called Night, and just the bridge of it fit perfectly. It was short, and it was kind of mystical sounding, and so that's why this song is called Night Bridge. I think there are a lot of people who like when you consider actors, right? They think, oh, comedic acting is a walk in the park. Anybody can do that. And from what I've understood Mm -hmm. and from the actors I've met, it's the most difficult form of acting to do or one of the most challenging if you're going to do it effectively. By that same token, people talk about writing music and they're like, well, writing atmospheric or cinematic things, that's simple. That's just a dee-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. I couldn't I couldn't disagree more. I think that that is some of, especially if it's going to be evocative, if it's going to mean something, if it's going to fit the thing that it's assigned to, or even just right there in that very short period of time, I think I am ready to listen to your podcast. And I'm going to be honest with you, Melissa, and don't take this the wrong way. I can't fucking stand podcasts. I hate them, even my own. Nothing personal. What did Sean. you see? What did you see when you wrote that? Um. So I... The the song that it's pulled from is actually about my childhood in the country with mm. birds and okay. the animals. And at nighttime, I loved being outside at Ooh. nighttime. Not so much these days, but <laughs> back then. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, as a kid, that didn't scare you. You found no. it more fascinating. I loved it. I loved it. And um, I loved the, the sounds of the crickets mm-hmm. and the... So, yeah, I liked... I liked. I think I liked the mysticism of it and... Um, Kind of the the potential for strange happenings, I which think, I like. Know? So I'm yeah. guessing that you're an Edward Gorey fan. I mean, the the illustrator Edward Gorey, um, he did the opening for Masterpiece Theater back in oh, the day. Yes. He did all the Victorian okay. stuff and yes. the black and white stuff, and 
it, that to me is very evocative of that. Mm-hmm. The, the one podcast I had ever listened to before we started doing the Brian Oak Show podcast was called Night Vale. And they do almost sort of an X-Files type thing where it's a very small town, old school AM radio. But there is a glowing cloud currently hanging over the um, uh, the playground at the elementary school. And I just, I mean, like that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Tell me about your podcast. Yeah, well, that's <clears throat> that's a little bit... Um, what this is so there's uh so i'm in season two right now they're based on these three books that i've written and so the first book uh this character called magpie moves to a house on the outskirts of a small town Mm. and she's fascinated with this abandoned farm across the road and she comes to find out that apparently on that farm there's no sound so if you set foot on the property Mm. you can clap your hands or whatever there's no sound and apparently if you do go there you never hear or speak again, and so nobody goes there. Um, and so as I don't want to give too much away, but as the story goes, the silence starts spreading. And so she has to figure out. And that's chapter one? No, that's that's a very short resume of, of book, oh, book one. A book one. Yes. All right, so yeah. how autobiographical is Magpie? Oh, very. Okay, yeah. that, and that's fine. But I mean, you. Yeah. So you've written, you'd written these three books and were literally sitting on them, right? The, the first book was written... Oh, at least ten years ago. Wow! And yeah, did you did you just not meet with success trying to talk to people about getting it published, or did you not even try? I, I just didn't know what to do with it. It just popped out mm. one day. Yeah. <laughs> I just sat outside one summer and typed up an, a novel. Wow! And didn't and then I was like, okay, well that's done. I don't love my ending, and I shelved it. And um, did you find your ending? I, well, then a friend of mine, so I started a Patreon for my music, uh-huh. and as kind of filler, I was putting out one chapter at a time of this story, and one of my friends said, you should turn that into a podcast, and at first, so we have this in common, I, I had never listened to a podcast in my life before she said that. Right. Uh, I don't listen to very many still, but um, the idea of being able to compose music for it and add sound effects is really what drew me in. And then the idea of, oh, maybe I actually can get this book out really drew me in. And then the thought of, oh, dang, I got to fix my stupid ending, <laughs> you know, but that's what pushed me. Right. And, and I did that. And then last summer, I, while I was putting out the first season of the podcast, I actually sat and wrote two more, the, the next two books, you know, all in one summer. I can tell from that music alone right there, which is the intro music for your podcast, The Skylark Bell. Well, growing up when I was a kid, I fell in love with radio at an early age. And I'm not that old, although I am old. Um, <laughs> but I remember on Sunday nights, radio was still radio enough that there would be like the Vincent Price Mystery Theater, right? And I, I'm supposed to be in bed. It's 8 o'clock. You yeah. turn out the lights right now. But I had a little tiny radio alarm clock, and I would pull it under the covers. And even though it was well past my bedtime, on some weird far left end of the dial radio station, I would listen to the Vincent Price Theater. And see, to me, that's amazing. Like here, this is a podcast based on something entirely different, right? This is conversation. So getting, this is getting to meet people and learn people. But the people who take the time to augment and accentuate their podcasts in that way, like, I mean... You get to create a real story, right? I mean, it, it's, it is theater of the mind in the best possible sense of it, not only in terms, you know, prose would be one thing, right? And it would be enough to propel the narrative forward, but then you throw in music and you throw in sound effects and suddenly you are able to evoke the actual thing. Do you, do, are you happy with, like, when you end one, like, do you feel like that's what I wanted to articulate? Like, I mean, do you feel like, or are you always like, God, that could have been better? I think for the most part, I'm happy. I, I think part of it is just by necessity because I do have a life with other things going on. And <laughs> I need to, you know, it's, it's just like sometimes, I mean, the the episode comes out at, at midnight on a Friday and it's 6 p.m. Thursday and I'm just like uploading it. You yeah. know, I, I try to not do that, but that does happen. And so you have to just at some point go, oh, I kind of stumbled on that one word. But you know what? Well, whether you're releasing a song or doing anything, at some point you have to call it quits. How often do new episodes of the Skylark Bell come out? They're every week, every Friday. Every single week on Friday. Every single week. I haven't missed one. Good for you. Uh, uh, Not, I mean, there are, I did take a small break at Christmas time, but I haven't missed one by accident. So, all right. Very good. Very good. The Skylark Bell. Before we continue our conversation with Melissa Oliveri, I do need to talk to Sean. Sean takes basically the same same approach to realty. He yes. tries to make sure that he dresses in some sort of hooded cowl, 
I do. Carrying a walking staff. Yes. When he approaches an open house and say, are you ready to enter? I do that and I bring a clove of gar- garlic just so that people keep that six foot distance. What about, like, have you ever thought of making small Blair Witch stick figures? Thought about to it. To give as promotional items to your potential I, customers. I am doing that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's not quite like that. It's a very different animal in realty. But Sean is very busy these days with his work as a realtor at the 50th and France location for Edina Realty. How are things going? They're going well, although I'm never at the 50th and France office. I'm running around like a mad person right now. But Which it's, is weird for February, right? It I mean, is. What, it's so early. What's, so what's going on? Well, Tell me why things that, are so weird. Part of it is that the uh, world is on fire. No, part Part of it is that the interest rates are going up slightly. Part of it is that stuff is happening in the world, and that tends to make people freeze. Um, The other thing that's happening is cabin fever and people being sick and tired of living in their current place and wanting to just uh, move on. Um, Let's jump into it. So congratulations to Brian Oak Show listener and friend, Cynthia. Oh, yeah? Uh, She and her partner, Robert, just bought a place not far from here on 40th and Bloomington, and uh, they closed yesterday. Well, and, congratulations. Yeah, thank you to them and li- big listeners of the show. She quoted several episodes and she said, this may sound creepy. Then she started quoting things. I'm like, <laughs> she might listen to the show more than I do. <laughs> but uh, Definitely more than I do. And they're donating to uh, the Flamin' O's. So I sent uh, the Flamin' O's a donation on their behalf yesterday. And it was so cool. Robert uh, Wilkinson uh, reached out right away. I was like, oh my gosh, how cool is this? Like, this is so great that uh, somebody thought of us. And I said, yeah. So sent that, that via Venmo yesterday and uh, got a closing coming up on Monday. And we'll talk about that one later. But if you know somebody that's looking to buy or sell, 612-859-2594. And we'll donate to uh, a buy or sell, whatever it happens to be, to a local artist or musician you know that my memory is garbage i love flaming o's like they were part of my 80s learning of music here in the twin cities will you remind me for the next show that i want to play their song stop i mean i remember romance is the big one that everyone knows but they've got a bunch of great songs if you don't tell me i will completely forget Okay, I'm going to put it in my calendar because I'll forget, but I'm going to put it right here in my calendar. Appreciate that about you, Sean. It is the Brian Oker Show, episode 229. Melissa, you know, you obviously are a good writer and you're, you're creating this thing and I'm growing up I mean my favorites are H.P. Lovecraft Edgar Allan Poe Edward Gorey like I'm talking about I you know I'm not looking for I'm not looking for things that are slasher movie like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre but that sense of a combination, right? Like, because it's not all horror, it's not all darkness, but there's that sort of sweet spot between unease and wonder, right? I mean, is that what you're shooting oh, for? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah? Eerie, I, I use the word unsettling a lot. Yeah. And I, and I think it's good to feel a little unsettled and mm-hmm. unsure for a moment. Right. So, so, I mean, like, so how long is, is an average episode of the Skylark Bell? Um, there, so... The story itself, those chapters are maybe 10, 12 minutes long. It's it's a really quick listen. That's very perfect. Yeah. I mean, they're like easily digestible, but also like atmospheric. Like that's just long enough where people are like, well, what do you mean it's fucking over? Where's the rest of the story, damn it? <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Good for you. So It's good for binge listening. Well, and so that music, that music you just played for us, Nightbridge, the intro, I heard piano. I heard lots of other things going on in there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> What's the first instrument that you ever picked up and you're like, Oh, yeah, I'm doing this. Um, As a little kid, I had those Fisher-Price little pieces. I've been able (laughs) to, so I've never had music lessons, um, but I've been able to pick out music on any kind of little toy instrument since I was a little kid. But really, I picked up the guitar when I was 15, and I played that for a long time. No training whatsoever. Um, I I had like five guitar lessons um, when I first started, and my last lesson uh, I went to, the teacher wanted to teach me Wonderwall by Oasis, yes. and this boy on my school bus, I lived in the country, so it was a long bus ride, he had taught me Wonderwall that afternoon already, nice. and my parents were making me pay for the lessons, and I wow. thought, well, this is dumb. Yeah, right. I got the boy on the bus, he can yeah. just show, you know. So, yeah, so I did that, and then maybe five or six years ago, I bought myself a piano for my birthday and told my husband we had to go pick it up, and uh, we have a very small house, so there's a big old piano in the middle of our living room now. Well, and your your husband has been a guest on the show before, Tony (laughs) Oliveri, who I've known for a long time, and I like him very, very much. Um, What brought you to America? 
Uh, well, Tony. It was. <laughs> it was. It yeah. was. Yeah. I think he told the story when he was on here, yeah. and it's wildly romantic. Like, you've it met is. many years before, right? And then all of a sudden came back together unexpectedly? Yeah. We had met in January of 1999 in Quebec City when his band was on tour there. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, I'm not a groupie, <laughs> but we ended up at this small pub around the corner and we ended up just speaking French, um, most of the night yeah. and then each went our merry way. Nothing else happened. And, uh, he did mail me a snail mail letter cause it was the nineties. And, um, <laughs> seven years later I found the letter in a filing cabinet and I, my space was the new thing where it yes. was so new. You were still looking to find people that you knew on it. Uh-huh. And, uh, I found his letter and I looked him up on my space and, and found him and sent a note saying, you probably don't remember me, but we met seven years ago. And, uh, 10 days from that date, we knew we were going to get married. Wow. Yeah. Within a year, we were married and had bought a house. He told so, the exact yeah. same story, and it's yeah. it's almost impossibly romantic. I mean, we live in such a um, such a cynical age that it's hard to imagine that those things happen. And so, good for you, Melissa. Glad you're happy. No, I'm just joking, of course. I love both of you, and I'm, I'm super happy for you. So, you met, and he convinced you to renounce Canada and become an American. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, um, I mean, that part, I won't lie, that part was hard, leaving yeah. my family, my job, my, I had to leave my dog behind with mm. somebody. And, you know, I know the dog, out of wait, all the wait, things. Wait, 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 the dog can't come to America? Well, it was complicated. It was really hot July, and she would have had to fly, like, through Texas. Mm. It's and a the dangerous cargo. animal, Yeah, I didn't yeah. feel like it was, uh, she was better off leaving okay. her behind. Okay. So. But I, I mean, but, I can't, that, yeah. thought, that right there sounds like I'm like, Hmm, this Tony guy seems right. pretty cool, but that's my Ooh, dog. dog. Right we we there, got a right? dog almost right away. After yeah, I'll I bet. Yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. All right, very good. Um, let's hear another one of your songs, if you don't mind. Sure. So um, you obviously have done plenty of music for things aside from the podcast, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how long, is, how long have you been Canel? Uh, that's relatively new. So um, I actually had a 15-year hiatus where I had... Um, performance anxiety, and I just mm. didn't play for anybody. I still played every day, but only for my dogs. I didn't even play for Tony. Really? Yeah. And then two years ago, or three, I guess it's three years. I don't even know what year it is anymore. In 2019, um, as just a series of things happened. We lost somebody in the family mm. and uh, a series of other things, and I kind of went, oh, what am I waiting for? Yeah. And uh, and that's where I started kind of putting myself out there and, and picked a stage name because I was too shy about having my real name. But it's been it's been working really, really well. And so you feel better about things these days in terms of public performance oh, and that yeah. sort of thing? Yeah, very much so. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not trying to dig into anybody's psyche or break anybody down, but do you have any idea why you would have gone through that long a period of performance anxiety? Like, I'm not playing this, not even for your own husband, who I know that you <laughs> dearly love. I mean, I guess uh, that's why I ask. Do you have any insight into that, or was it just the way you were? I haven't really figured it out. Um, I do think that being older and being more secure in who I am and, and being more comfortable being weird, um, you know, I, I think that helped me get over it. As far as what sparked it, I, I don't I never really figured it out. Yeah. Well, well, luckily, we're on the other side of it right yeah. now. At least things are moving in the right direction. <laughs> Tell me the song we're about to hear right here. So this is called The Velvets. And um, part of my podcast is once a month, I interrupt the reading of the story and put up a um I call it Phantom Friday, and it's actually a true, unexplained. I won't. I don't want to call it a ghost story because I don't know if that's the right word. But I've had a lot of very strange experiences, and um, the one that this song is based on actually happened here in Minneapolis during an open house where I encountered Ooh. a long departed famous Minneapolis mobster called Kid Can, and this is the song that was inspired by that encounter. We have a lot more to talk about <laughs> on the other side of this song. Swagger, the cash, the charm We are the velvet 
it right there that is canel aka melissa oliveri who joins us right now on the brian oker show episode 229 are there any specific musicians musical combos eras or anything that that particularly inspire you when it comes to making your music that you draw from um i do tend to listen to a lot of women musicians mm-hmm. especially women who write their own music and perform it um that and Part of it is practical, right, for the singing range. But, yeah. but I think a lot of it is um, the, their, their stories are from a different perspective mm-hmm. a lot of the time, and that speaks to me more. So I find that inspiring. Um, but, for example, like the song that just played, that's not a style of music that I listen to all that much. Right. So it, it's great because it pulled me out of my comfort zone a little bit. But I do love a lot of things. I'll listen to, you know, Cuban music, French pop, mm-hmm. all, all sorts of things. I guess, the reason I ask, I guess, is the aesthetic is very distinct right i mean it's it's not something a lot of people do i mean i hear a bunch of great artists in there i I hear pj harvey i hear Mm -hmm. tom waits i hear this sort of turn of the century jazz right before Mm -hmm. jazz was really jazz the the sort of evolution of it in the earliest part of the 1900s but there's also there's a melancholy to it and there is an uncertainty to it not an uncertainty in terms of the quality of performance but like i'm not really sure that i feel safe right now (laughs) you know what i mean that's perfect that's exactly what i was trying to do well well done because bullseye it's beautiful (laughs) your podcast the skylark bell do people just go to all the places they would normally go to get podcasts to find it yep yep it's on all the platforms and i have a website for it theskylarkbell.com and you can listen to it there too and obviously, if you are only entering the second book now, and there are three mm-hmm. books as part of this triptych so far, you're obviously a, a long way to go. Not a long way to go, but you know what I mean. There'll be plenty more content for people oh, yeah. down the road. I mean, do you have intentions to write more and freestyle, or are you going to write books and then turn it into a podcast? Or, I mean, what do you? And I, I, obviously, you've got some time, and there's no pressure. <laughs> but what do you? What do you foresee for the future of the Skylark Bell? Yeah, I I have thought about that because I I don't want it to necessarily be finite. Um, On the side, I've started a podcast of original stories for children called uh, Carefully Built Pretend. Mm. And so I keep that going at the same time. Great name. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It it stems from my childhood, my little world that I created for myself. And now I'm sharing it with everybody. But um, I I think I do have ideas to expand on once these. I always knew this was going to be a trilogy. And uh, once those stories are done, I have ideas with kind of peripheral characters or maybe using the location, but at a different time and keep expanding on those. So I would like to eventually publish these as actual books, too, um, when the time allows someday. Well, just promise me this. Did you finally fix that screwed up ending on book one? I did. Oh, yeah. It was so (laughs) cheesy, you guys. No, it's it. It. it, it was a happy ending. Was it really can't... cheesy or were you just your own worst critic? Oh, no, it really, it was a cheesy, like, and they fell in love and whatever. Yeah. It was stupid. No, now, <laughs> now, you guys. Uh, didn't it's... you fall in love and live happily ever <laughs> well, after? yeah, that's great for real life. Okay, but, but not for a spooky not for podcast. Escape. No, now yeah, it's yeah. a cliffhanger and I'm not going to give it away, but it's, <gasps> it's really good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. See, I don't like happy endings. Well, and it, 
I don't mind a happy ending. What I don't like, I think, in American culture, when it comes to movies, everything's got to be tied up in a nice yeah. little yes. bow, right? And I kind of like to be left. I don't even want to be left hanging, but I like to be able to think about it myself at the end and be like, mm-hmm. well, what do you suppose happened, right? I mean, yeah. I don't want to get yanked around, but I also, I don't want everything served up in a nice little compact. Here it is on a plastic tray and it's over and it's done. Well, good for you. What else do you, I mean, so when you talk about getting more comfortable with stage fright or not necessarily stage fright, but playing in front of other people, mm-hmm. performance anxiety, whatever you'd like to call it, yeah. do you do you intend to, should our society and overall medical condition and worldwide pandemic allow it, do you want to perform live? Do you like the idea? Yeah. So um, I had, in 2019, I, I was 39, and I had told myself I need to play a live show before I turn 40. And I actually had one booked for May, I think, 2nd, 2020. My very first, it was going to be a house concert, and I was going to do it after 15 years. And then COVID hit. Of course. So I still I've done tons of live streams, which isn't exactly the same. But right. that that was hard to do at first too. Hit it, and my finger hovered over the live button for a long time. I'll bet. But um, yeah, I, and now I have actually I played a live instrumental set at an event uh, last year. So I'm, excellent. I'm, I'm working on it. Okay, good. I, just, I I like the idea of it because if it, it all embraces the like I said aesthetic or mood of the song we just heard called the Velvets, I mean. I see some like old timey instruments and that kind of stuff, or just, you know, like a good fiddle player. And you're obviously, you can't sing three vocal parts at one time. So you're going to have to find the right person to harmonize with. Yeah. You know, there are bands like Rasputina who do kind of that old timey thing, mm-hmm. but with a much more sort of driving gothic nature. And I feel like yours is more. I don't know, atmospheric and enjoyable. Like anybody could sit down and enjoy it. Like whereas Rasputina, unless you are really, really still mad at your parents in your twenties, yeah. you're probably not going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Here's what I here's what I saw for that last song because I thought it was interesting that you visualize all these things. Mm-hmm. I saw an empty old small town church with hardwood floors with all the pews out, and I saw a couple and like in the early 1900s dancing and she's kind of looking at him with a devious look while they kind of dance around the room that's what i saw i really did that's what i saw you know that neither of us are your therapist right (laughs) and there's another thing that i want to tell you about and i'm okay with me now and i have to admit what i like about like i think you hit it perfectly sean when you say you visualize these things first for me it was again going back to the artist edward gory where he does everything Mm -hmm. sort of in this decaying late 19th century world, right, where there's still sort of the vague, rusting sheen of the old guard, and I saw the inside of a quiet, dusty study in a huge mansion where someone's sitting there thoughtfully staring off into space, and it just sort of filled... Again, like I said, there was melancholy, but there was mystery at the same time. Mm -hmm. I like it very much. Well, now I have to go home and listen to the Skylark Bell, because (laughs) I am deeply intrigued, whereas ours is very unfettered with anything interesting or atmospheric. Apparently, Melissa has decided to make a full-blown radio program out of her podcast. far too smart. Well, too smart. way too ambitious. That's yeah, for goddamn yeah. sure. Um, well, I wish you luck. Are you writing on, are you writing anything right now? Are you working on either the written word or have you been playing music lately? I, I've, I've been doing both. I, I finally, for the first time in my life, I can do both at once with okay. this podcasting platform. Before yeah. I would take breaks from either one, like for several years and do one or the other. Really? Um, but now I've been writing the children's stories. That's been a lot of fun. Mm. Do you put music to those as well? Um, I haven't been writing songs specifically for... For, I, I did write intro music for that, um, whereas with the Skylark Bell on all those Phantom Friday episodes with the true ghost stories or whatever, I actually wrote a new song for each of those that went with the episodes. Really? So that was, that's how this album actually came together. Yeah, It's so cool that you're able to write for children because so many adults get really, really rusty because they've <laughs> lost their imagination gets rusty. Mm-hmm. And they say it does if you don't use it. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that you, to be able to write for kids, there's so many adults that just, they just can't go there. Yeah. And you have to really be thinking like a child and how they're going to have that imagery and everything else to be able to do it effectively. So that's really cool that I, you... I think part of you has to be a little bit stuck in childhood yes. still, which 
for sure. Yep. Totally. Three, all three, three of hands us. just went yeah. up. All yeah. three <laughs> hands went up. But I mean, like, not to the point where you're helpless, but no. to the point that if you ever lose wonder, or to me, it, it sounds like such an esoteric word, but a word that I'm drawn back to occasionally, not occasionally, constantly, is whimsy, right? Mm-hmm. So even in the more troubling or brooding aspects of your music right there there's never a loss of a sense of whimsy in there i mean of of thoughtfulness of exploration right and so i feel like if you could just not frighten the children so much with your skylark <laughs> bell music that your your, your childhood's your kid stuff is probably fantastic I, I think kids like being scared i loved watching mm-hmm. scary movie more Absolutely. so then than now now i yeah. chicken out i'm like turn those <laughs> lights back on yeah but but i i think kids like being mm-hmm. a little bit scared but to the right degree right oh, yeah. like i mean but but again i I couldn't agree more. When I was a kid, one of the things I will remember and probably stayed with me into my mid, maybe late 20s, possibly early 30s, is when I'm coming up out of the basement, you flick the lights off. You don't just walk up the stairs. You hustle your ass up yes, those stairs you do. because yeah. the tentacles are right behind yeah, you. Exactly right. And again, I mean, again, it wasn't going to ruin my day. But again, you turn off that light. You don't just mosey up the stairs. You move your butt because who knows what so dark, unspeakable secrets are coming out. <laughs> Melissa, I wish you luck, and you promise you will come back again. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. You brought me an, an unbelievably beautiful gift. I've been an animation fan my entire life, and when we talk about kids. My daughter and I grew up watching so many cartoons together because I was already an animation fan and we found Yellow Submarine one time. We found it on VHS and we still had a working VCR. We watched it once and it became probably at the age of three and a half or four, her very favorite. And that's the age where kids are like, hey, can we watch Cosmo Squirrel again? Can we watch you know, Toy Story? And we watched all those things a bunch. She and I have watched Yellow Submarine 50 times, and they just came out a place called Theory 11 with an exclusive deck of Yellow Submarine playing cards. I do not request that anybody here bring a gift, but it was very, very generous of you to do so. Oh, my pleasure. It means a lot to me. I appreciate it. The Skylark Bell can be found wherever you get your podcast. What about this disc? Is that available to people? So the CD was a Patreon exclusive, but okay. the music is up for streaming or download on all the platforms and on Bandcamp. All right, very good. And if people would like to become a Patreon, once they listen, they'll obviously be enamored <laughs> and drawn into your world. Is it just patreon.com slash Skylark Bell? It's actually slash Melissa Oliveri. Oh, I, your name. I, I do all the things. Everything goes on there. It's, well, my, it's my creative dumping ground. Good. Well, and dumping ground, I don't feel like is fair either. All right. But garden. We, it's my garden. Yeah, thank garden. you. There we go. Your creative garden. We also have a Patreon account here. And without our Patreon members, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And it's a huge help. So if you'd like to know more, if you'd like to dig a little deeper, if you'd like to help Melissa, patreon.com slash Melissa Oliveri. The Skylark Bell is the podcast. And this has been delightful. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. We want to thank the good people at Smart Start M. And one more time, we also want to thank Sean Bernard. Thank you, Sean. Oh, yeah, thanks. Okay. Also, the good people at AudioQuip, Nate and his entire crew, uh, they were equally as bummed out as I was over the passing of Mark Lanigan, oh. and we shared that a little bit over the last couple of days. Oh, trust me, we'll be talking more about that in episodes ahead. Um, but thanks to everybody, Patreon members, listeners, subscribers, anybody who's listened once, amplified ever. This is something we can't do without you, and it's hard to believe we're already episode, on episode 229, and we're going to keep doing this for as long as we are able to, or until either Sean or I kill each other in an Agatha Christie-like manner and we'll just have to figure out who done it. That will be a podcast. Yeah, that kept you open right there, didn't it? Yeah. I'm sure we'd get tens of listeners to that one. Possibly even fives of listeners. (laughs) Exactly. We're going to go now. We'll be back again soon. Before we let you go, Melissa, um, you've chosen one of my favorite artists of all time for your final song here. And she also brings... You know, she's obviously a wildly talented player and singer and live performer, but she also brings just this slightly off-kilter approach to the music that she creates, and she's a fellow redhead. And um, I just, I've seen her live a few times, and I happen to be a gigantic fan, but I want to know what you like about her and why you chose this song specifically. Yeah, so um, I guess, oof, 20 years ago maybe, is maybe more now, is when I first heard Tori Amos, and... Um, the first song of hers that I heard was actually Spark, not the one that you're going to play. But I mm-hmm. loved how bizarre it was. Mm. And that really spoke to me. And that whole, I guess that's reflective of my music too, but that kind of atmospheric, uh, almost like underwater vibe. And um, yeah, she really spoke to me. And then the more I discovered of her music, the more I, I kind of fell down that rabbit hole. 
But um, this song that is going to play is called IE, and I was actually listening to this in my little Montreal apartment when 9-11 happened. Mm. And all morning I'd been doing other creative projects, sewing and whatever, and uh, so I had no idea what was going on until well after it was occurring. And um, I turned on the TV, but I had it on mute, and this song was playing in the background, and if you listen to the lyrics, you'll kind of understand why it uh, has stayed in my mind so strongly. And your ease and I do 